genuine question now. Go ahead. When was the last time you experienced decent, not even like exceptional, just decent customer service? Oh, long time ago. I mean, there's no secret formula for it yet. What we do know is that most companies seem to be pretty bad at it. But not you, my friend, not you, listener. Oh, no. You can create an amazing customer service experience when you use the brand new service hub from HubSpot. Yep, this all-new service hub from HubSpot brings customer service and support together in one simple but powerful platform so you can deliver the best experience possible. And of course, it's powered by AI, not Al, AI, meaning your team can automate those tedious tickets from people who've clearly not read your frequently asked questions. Pain in the backside, aren't they? Oh, and by the way, organizations using HubSpot Service Hub are resolving tickets 13 times faster, helping them to close 42% more tickets per day. That means increasing retention by more than 80%. Thank you, people at HubSpot who, who did the maths on that one, because I wouldn't be able to. I love a bit of data. Did you also know, Al, that it consolidates your entire internal knowledge base into one place? So no matter who is working on support, they'll have the answers at their fingertips. I did know that because I wrote that for you. Well, there you have it. Stand out from the crowd and migrate to HubSpot Service Hub today. Visit HubSpot.com slash service and learn how this all-new solution can help you deliver for your customers. And I got into breathing actually through grief. My girlfriend was diagnosed with terminal cancer and passed away. And it was a really challenging time, as you can imagine. Hello and welcome to the Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture podcast brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. My name is Leanne. I'm a business psychologist. My name is Al and I'm a business owner. We are here to help you simplify the science of people and create amazing workplace cultures. Yeah, and... um. Did we mention we were at the Mad World Conference? <laughs> Have we mentioned it at all? I don't know. If you were, if you follow us on LinkedIn, you will see we, we were all over that, weren't we? Mm-hmm. I think um, we had to do something useful. Yeah, the quick story is that um, there was a fire at Luton Airport, which is, if you don't know, the UK. Mm-hmm. Luton is uh, one of the airports outside of London and served by Croatia, which is where we were flying from because we live in Bosnia. Um, and there was a fire, and so we woke up about four o'clock on the day it was due to fly good job on this time because mm-hmm. our flight got cancelled mm-hmm. because of this fire it was flying into the airport and all flights were cancelled so yeah it all in all it just meant that unfortunately i wasn't able to go which was really rubbish but you made really your, you made the most of it though because you were here and you were on linkedin every 30 seconds telling people what was going mm-hmm. on which i think actually helped uh, cause a little bit of a buzz at the event because people were coming up to us and going oh i've seen you yeah i've seen your linkedin so so this episode is dedicated to the sixth mad world summit that happened last week on the 12th of october in london 10 i think that's what they call it i don't know i'm not from down south i don't know uh but yeah we are bringing you this episode in collaboration with mad world summit and make a difference media which is the all-round media channel that supports both Mad World and its sister event, The Water Cooler, which you might remember, regular listeners, we attended April this year. Make a Difference Media is well worth checking out as a platform. It is packed with content. It has brilliant webinars, reports, interviews. I personally have been subscribed to their newsletter for about 18 months and I love it. So much valuable content. And you will also get a sneak peek at the speakers that are already confirmed for the water cooler in April 2024. That's the 23rd and 24th of April next year. Um, so yeah, do check it out. Have a look. If you are if you didn't attend Mad World, maybe you can uh, attend the water cooler instead. 
So I will leave a link in the show notes, but do check it out. Go look at their website. It's makeadifference.media. Yeah, and it's well worth going to these events because you get to see or, or hear from lots of different people. And all the, also the speakers just mill around as well, so you can talk to them. They're not like up on, well, they are up on stage, but it's not like they stay on stage. You can you can actually go and speak to them. Uh, I spoke to some amazing people from BBC, uh, L'Oreal, Bank of England, Mental Health First Aid. Uh, we had an interview, and we'd interview with all of those. So don't worry, they're coming up. Calm down, they're coming up, all right. Um, we also spoke to Shauna Brown, who is an England rugby player, uh, we also spoke to the BBC Radio 1 presenter of the decompressions, decompression sessions, easy for me to say, and that was Stuart Sandiman. We also spoke to the former Premier footballer Clark Carlisle and his lovely wife Carrie. And we'll also be speaking to the amazing Isabel Berwick, who's got a podcast, a Financial Times podcast called Working It. We have so many conversations to bring you over the next few weeks. But for now, we're just going to be sharing what we learned about the emerging trends in mental health and well-being and what you the listener need to be know need to know about over the next 12 months yeah it is a jam-packed episode with some awesome guests that we will introduce you to very soon but before we do i would like to just say thank you to the team at mad world for looking after us again so well especially co-founders simon berger and mark pigou global head of content claire farrow and the rest of the event marketing and pr team including jasmine brown Kate Jeffrey and Susie Bashford. And a shout out to the man with the coolest beard in the world. It's our lovely friend Gary Helmat Oboe, who provided yet again for the fourth time, third time running uh, a booth for us to record in that was soundproof and also looked really, really cool. If you want to have a look at that, look at LinkedIn on some of the posts that Leanne's been sharing. You will see the booth there. Um, if you're interested in any kind of office furniture, if you're interested in growing an amazing beard, Go and speak to Gary at oboe.life, or I think it might be oboelife.com now. I think that both of them will take you to the same place. Lovely. So today's show, we are going to be sharing with you what Mad World is, why we went, what happened and who we spoke to. We're going to go through the future trends that we saw people talking about in terms of workplace culture and well-being. We're also going to talk about maybe why you should come next year and also why you should come to the water cooler. Yeah, the events really are so much fun and a more personal level i guess we met simon berger who's one of the co-founders of mad world and the water cooler when we interviewed him for the podcast a while ago is on a um a, a vc yeah it was on the vc funding podcast that's part one. one and part two that's the one um so yeah speaking to simon we learned that he co-founded mad world with his business partner mark following a death by suicide in the family and it was really a tragic event and it made them both very aware of how significant and severe the impact of mental health can be poor mental health can be so yeah i mean if you've listened to last week's episode you'll also know that al and i have experience in suicide prevention so from when we met simon and talked to him more after he was on the show the more we got to know him the more we realized that our our mission and our values are aligned so when he invited us to the water cooler and subsequently mad world it was a no-brainer for us so let's go and meet the eight guests who are going to be on the pod today lee Yes, our first guest is Shelley O'Connor. Shelley is performance manager and LGBTQ plus network co-chair at the Bank of England. 
So Shelley O'Connor, pronouns she, her. Um, and yes, LGBT co-chair um, at the Bank of England. Um, and I've been in co-chair for a few years now, but I've actually been in the bank for 12 years. Um, so I'm a, a long-standing member, shall we say. And uh, my day job, I'm a work in HR. So I'm a performance manager. So the appraisals, end of year performance and all that fun stuff. I wouldn't say I'm famous. Um, I suppose on LinkedIn and, and social media, I talk a lot about DE9. That's why I've been invited to be a speaker at this today's event. So, yeah, I, I would say if I'm famous for anything, maybe that. Then I sat down with Jeremy Gautry Jones, who's the Assistant Director of Employee Experience at RSPCA. If you're from the States, for example, I think it's called the SPCA over there. All about animals. Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Here's Jeremy. My name's Jeremy Gorch Jones. I'm the Assistant Director, Employee Experience uh, at the RSPCA. Uh, I've been with the RSPCA for three years. And what I'm famous for, um, probably within the RSPCA, is leading our quite flexible hybrid working st strategy. And of course, we were hugely excited to speak with Isabel Warwick, who is the host of the Financial Times' Working It podcast. So I'm Isabel Berwick. I have worked at the Financial Times for 22 years. I've done a lot of jobs for the last couple of years. I've been a podcast host and I have a weekly newsletter for our subscribers about the world of work. They're both called Working It and it's about the modern workplace, the future of work, leadership, management, all those things that FT readers are very interested in. And I sat down with Amit Siddhapura, um, who'd flown in all the way from Zurich just to talk to me. Not really. He'd flown in for the event, but he also managed to speak to me. He's a global business strategy leader for talent transformation at IBM, a small company. You may have heard of them. Um, so, yeah, my name is Amit Siddhapura. I'm currently based out of Zurich, Switzerland. Um, so I flew in for this event. I'm just, yeah, just uh, fascinating to be here. The last 15 years I've basically been spent, all my passion is all about helping people transform. So up until 2019, all of that was from an organizational perspective. You know, how do we find the right people uh, within the right organization, create the right culture, create the right environment to help engage, develop them so they have a fulfilling career. And as I mentioned before, we spoke to Clark Carlisle and his lovely wife, Carrie, who are the mental health campaigners. They're a married couple who are dedicated to raising awareness, mental health and suicide and have a really, really personal story. What do we do? We share a lived experience around mental health, uh, adverse mental health. Uh, my personal journey is a recurrent complex depressive disorder that led to multiple suicide attempts. Um, uh, and we share that. But most importantly, we share uh, from both sides of that lived experience. So Carrie shares the impact that it had on her uh, and our family. And along that, you know, uh, going along with the brutal honesty that we share around the journey. It, it's not a sensationalized, um, you know, conversation or delivery. We talk about the practical implications and the practical applications of what we've learned. Al also had the pleasure of speaking to Francoise Woolley, Head of Mental Health and Wellbeing at ACAS. So my name's Francoise Woolley. I'm Head of Mental Health and Wellbeing at ACAS. So essentially my role has changed quite recently. So for the last three years, I've been responsible for developing the mental health and wellbeing strategy internally to support our own staff and for delivering that. Um, more recently, I've been more external facing. So I'm actually for ACAS on behalf of ACAS, influencing policy debate practice around mental health and wellbeing in the workplace. So I work, work closely with other colleagues in ACAS, um, really to try and help develop our guidance, to develop our products around supporting mental health in the workplace. 
I also sit, sat down with Kimberly Ward, who's a financial inclusion and vulnerability lead at First Direct, which is a division of HSBC Bank. Kimberly's got an amazing story. My name's Kimberly Ward. I am the financial inclusion and vulnerability lead for First Direct Bank. Um, I am famous, actually, um, for being, being the first person in the UK to undergo cochlear implant surgery whilst pregnant. Um, this is a surgery for someone who is hearing impaired, uh, profoundly deaf, um, and it is basically embedding an implant inside your skull um, to help you hear. That surgery is normally done under a general anaesthetic, which means you are put to sleep. However, because a general anaesthetic is dangerous to a fetus, um, I was offered the uh, local anaesthetic, so quite a terrifying experience. And finally, thank you to producer Dean and Jasmine Brown from Nourishing. We were able to welcome Stuart Sandman into the podcast pub. I loved it. I lost my sh when I heard this. Dean was like, oh my God, we've got Stuart. And I was like, what? Oh, if you haven't heard of him, Stuart is a DJ and host of the Decompression Session on BBC Radio 1. He is also co-founder of Breath Pod and a Sunday Times best-selling author. His book is called Breathe In, Breathe Out. Well, I founded a company called Breath Pod. Breath Pod is really about giving people the tools to empower themselves. Um, and a big tool that I use is breathing. Writing a book was never on my radar. Um, I avoided writing as much as possible. So even when somebody floated the idea of writing a book, I was like, no way, that is not happening. So you've heard that we spoke to some fancy people. You heard that we had some really good interview interviews and conversations. The question on your lips is probably, why do you need to care about this stuff? If you understand that investing in the mental health of your employees is the right thing to do. And I believe that if you're listening to this, you do. And if you're also a regular listener, you'll know and also believe that well-being means a healthier performance and a healthier bottom line. You'll also know that mental health is this complex, multifaceted problem. As business owners and leaders, we're only human. We get it wrong. So therefore, it's only by like continually learning and challenging ourselves, we can continue to create these amazing workplace cultures that we really want to create. So I'd like to hand over to Carrie Carlisle, who's going to share a very personal experience that holds valuable lessons for us humans and leaders. Well, this is a cycle, but let's take it back to 2017, uh, Clark's last um, suicide attempt. And I knew Clark was poorly, but I thought he was depressed because he was telling me he was depressed. And he was telling me so succinctly and like the whole world on the news and stuff that I thought he was telling me the whole story. But he was just telling me the bits he was comfortable with. So actually, Clark was equally depressed and suicidal but wasn't comfortable so he just shut that bit off and I was like well he's communicating right he's communicating all the time no he's not he's being selective so I got that wrong I took his symptoms personally Clark wanted to sleep all the time instead of addressing that oh this is a medical thing I took it as this is a personal thing this is a relationship thing I took it personally and I didn't confront I dismissed and justified and stuff like he didn't want to sit with me in the same room he didn't want to make eye contact and of course then he disappeared and left me a suicide note and that was when I had to start saying to myself I can't handle this this is we need to get services involved now the police we have to get medics involved he has to go to psychiatric hospital it's not about me at all it's about a very real illness so got it horribly wrong on a very public platform and then practice getting it right I think poor mental health depression feelings of suicide can affect anyone and even the most successful people as you know we'll see with with Clark and, and many others can suffer with mental health it, it could affect you as well we all I think have found ourselves in positions in our lives and in our businesses where we've known that people aren't okay but we've not known 
the full story, we probably would have experienced selective communication as leaders that maybe resulted in a surprise resignation or period of sickness. We've probably also been in, in a situation as a leader where, you know, we, we knew something was wrong, but we didn't confront it. We dismissed it. We justified it. And as business owners, it is hard not to take resignations personally or, you know, to get to the point where you feel lost or overwhelmed by the people and culture challenges that you're experiencing in your business. If you employ people, people are your business and you have to take that responsibility seriously nobody wants to be a stop on somebody's downward spiral so we have to invest in our own mental health in the mental health of our teams of our employees and if you don't know how to do that as Carrie said engage somebody who does well said Leanne well said so the trends that we're talking about in this particular episode we I told you there was gonna be six of them they are gonna be allyship we're gonna talk about workplace trauma and that's big T and little t. It's about reasonable adjustments. Something which I don't, I hadn't really thought about before. But uh, as Leanne will point out, emotional literacy for leaders, investing in individual well-being, and finally, a very strange one, anger. Why are we all so angry? So our first future trend is allyship. I'm not sure it'd be a surprise to anybody that equity, diversity, and inclusion continues to be at the, you know, near the very top of people and culture priorities as we finish off 2023 and move into 2024. But what really interested us was how this conversation is evolving. We'll be bringing you an episode soon that will feature leaders from... <laughs> I can't believe we get to talk to these people. But yeah, leaders from the BBC, the University of Warwick and NASA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's hear from Shelley, who is LGBTQ plus network co-chair at the Bank of England. So uh, ERG, um, employee reference group, networks, different people have different names. We call them network staff networks, colleague networks. And they're the communities that uh, are in an organisation that can really make a difference in DE&I. Um, so and allies are important. So um, as I mentioned, I'm co-chair of the LGBTQ plus network and I'm the first ally co-chair um, of the network. The communities um, and in say 30 colleagues um, in a small organization or a small business, um, they still have a voice. They still have a different lived experience to the straight white male um, in, in the corporate world. So um, whether it's your colleagues of ethnic minority or people of color or LGBTQ plus or women, men, different genders, non-binary, like so everyone will have a voice and have different lived experience. So for your organisation to thrive, you need to listen to all voices around the table. So the networks, it doesn't have to be, if you're that small organisation, have to be a well-organised steering group and meetings. It could literally just be one or two people representing that community because when you do eventually grow, because most businesses want to grow, you've got a starting block to to kind of have that safe space for them colleagues yeah i think it's, it's a really interesting and necessary evolution of the conversation i think because i think when we've talked about edi on the podcast before Al, you quite rightly kind of served as a voice for business leaders that might be saying well what can i say what can't i say it feels like i'm you know it's, it's us and them and 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 i think what allyship first and foremost is how you how you ensure that you show up for your people if you're representing them, but make sure they can show up for themselves. And I think what what's really interesting about allyship in organisations is taking employee voice to that next level. Yeah, and I think that for anyone who's listening to going, oh my God, let yet another word that I'm going to have to learn and learn what it means. 
You, one, yes, you should. But really, it just boils down to just being a decent human being and not being an arsehole. Um, and number two is Gen Z. This, the Gen Z are all over this. And if you aren't all over it, then you are not going to be attracting Gen Z. So it's so important for a number of reasons, just to be a decent human being, but also to continue to be competitive in the workforce and attract the top talent that you know you want. So the second trend is workplace trauma. And I was a little bit surprised to hear this. Um, I hadn't really considered it before, but it was quite a theme across a number of our interviews. And it's definitely a future trend that needs to be on your radar. So we'll be bringing you a full episode with Dr. Claire Fernandez from the BBC and our featured guest today, Jeremy Gortry-Jones from the RSPCA. But just for now, here's a snippet of Jeremy explaining why we need it. One of the things we've done recently uh, is we've introduced uh, TRIM, uh, Trauma Resource Management, which actually supports people um, who come across traumatic events in, in their workplace. And it helps them uh, talk about those issues with, with a peer and, their, and prevents a spiraling decline in their mental health. We didn't design it. It's something that, that exists uh, in the emergency services and was uh, in the military as well. Um, and we've taken that idea and, and brought it into the organisation and it's really popular and working well. It, it is aimed around people witnessing traumatic events. So, I mean, depending, you know, so there are lots of different jobs that that potentially could apply to. Um, so, yes, I mean, we would encourage any employer um, who has staff that could witness such events um, to actually look into trim. It's not only about trauma as in people who are, you know, like in the RSPCA seeing horrific scenes. We're talking about all kinds of trauma here. And it's something which I think we brushed under the carpet, perhaps as leaders of yesteryear. We might be going, oh, they'll be fine. Just grow up, stiff upper lip, all that kind of stuff. Well, that's not going to cut it anymore. I think what will be interesting as we dive into this a bit more is that, you know, there's trauma with a big T and trauma with a little T. You know, employees that work for organisations like RSPCA or, or the NHS or the police, they will experience traumas with a big T. But there are plenty of other scenarios where people may experience smaller traumas or lighter traumas traumas with a little t i do think is you know the more that work and life come together the more that they blend these things are gonna need to be a consideration for leaders and it always comes down again doesn't it to if you've got a good relationship with people in your team you're gonna know that these things are going on we're not gonna have those secrets that we talked to to um bonnie about a, a few episodes ago on toxic workplace cultures um so yeah i think trauma is gonna be something that that needs to be talked about for the the little t traumas and for any organization that is you know creating an environment or has employees that may experience um uppercase trauma then that is definitely something that that needs to be managed and i'm really looking forward to learning more about the framework that jeremy shared there okay lee and what's trend number three trend number three um anger which which i don't know whether it would be a surprise or not i think when when you first mentioned this was something that, that came up i was like huh as I reflect, I was like, yeah, but you know, why, why are people angry? And what can we do to better manage anger in the workplace? We will be bringing you a much deeper conversation on this uh, with Isabel Barrick from the Financial Times working at podcast and another high profile expert guest on anger that we are currently in talks with. But cross your fingers and toes, I'm pretty sure we will get them on the podcast. Um, so yeah, but for now, let's hear from Isabel and her view on why anger is one of the biggest issues in the workplace today. What's the biggest issue in workplaces today? And I would say to you, anger. Oh, really? Anger. People are angry. The, the numbers of people who report being angry at work is rocketing. 
when we did an episode on anger, it was incredibly popular. I think anger, whether it's suppressed or expressed, it doesn't come directly from the workplace in many cases. It comes from outside. But the pressures that we're all feeling in terms of the global economy, society, you know, the new the wars that are being fought on two fronts, we are feeling anxious, we are feeling uncertain, we are feeling powerless. And if that is replicated in a workplace, a lot of people feel powerless in their day-to-day job. And anger is, I think, the emotion that we're going to have to learn to manage over the next five years, whether we're team members or managers. Yeah, I think the when you combine anxiety with powerlessness, which I think is what Isabel said, when you d- feel like you you don't have control over something and there is so much uncertainty at the moment. God knows, I mean, as the time of recording, there's like at least two major wars going on in the world. Um, Prices of everything seem to be doubling every day. And when someone feels that they don't have control over something and there's lots of uncertainty coming, that's where anger comes from. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an emotion that is, you know, we've all heard the fight and flight. We've talked about it before. The anger is the emotion that is attached with that fight. If you're not leaving your organization, you're going to grit your teeth in and try and get through it. There is going to be some negative emotion that comes with that. And one of those could well be anger. And like you say, it doesn't even have to be about anything you're getting angry about in the workplace. There's so much to get angry about right now. Anger is number three. What's number four, Lee? Number four is reasonable adjustments. This is our fourth trend. From a legal perspective, as a business owner, you're probably familiar with the term reasonable adjustments, particularly in terms of if you employ somebody who has a disability or is perhaps returning to work following an injury. But what about reasonable adjustments in terms of when mental health constitutes as a disability? Employees are getting much more savvy about this. Like you said, Al, the Gen Z are all over these trends. They know that they are protected by the law and it's becoming increasingly clear that businesses need to do more to step up to make sure that they are being compliant, they are putting in place these reasonable adjustments. And that's just even in the case of, of, you know, if we look at, at the physical side of things. In terms of the mental health side of reasonable adjustments, this is a really interesting conversation and one we are going to hear get louder and louder over the next few months. I followed and used ACAST services for years to make sure that both myself and members of my team have got the support that we are legally entitled to. So I was really excited when Francoise Willie decided that she would be on the show. She is head of mental health and wellbeing at ACAST. Yes, I think Leanne really sums it up there perfectly. I'll leave Francoise in a second who's going to talk a little bit more about it. The key thing I think you need to remember is that this isn't just, although ACAS does come from the point of view of going, look, if you don't make these adjustments, then as, as Francois says, you have to open your wallet and pay, pay the compensation. But also when you do make them, then it just has a direct impact on your bottom line, a direct impact on your culture, a direct impact on your people. So here's Francoise. Um, Reasonable is a word that's used in employment law, really. So um, employers have a legal obligation if someone has a disability to put in place what's called reasonable adjustments um, to to make sure that that person is not disadvantaged as a result of their disability. So to reduce or remove any kind of barriers for them, really. What is reasonable really depends on the employer. So a large employer is going to have more financial capability to put in certain adjustments than a, than a smaller kind of an SME. So it's thinking about, you know, what's practical, um, what's reasonable, what's um, financially available. 
um, to, to try and remove that barrier for that individual. So that's the, the word reasonable, really. Employers get really hung up on that kind of what, you know, what constitutes a disability. So many people with mental health difficulties, they won't necessarily think of themselves as, as having a disability. Um, but under the Equality Act, um, the definition is that it's a physical or mental health impairment that has a substantial long-term and adverse impact on someone's ability to do their day-to-day -day activities. What we say at AACAS is that actually, irrespective of that diagnosis, if someone is struggling or if there are adjustments you can put in the workplace that is going to support someone to help them not just stay in work, but thrive at work and, and produce their kind of best work, really, then why would you not do that? So we would recommend that you don't get too hung up on that kind of definition, really. So Francoise shared her insights on a panel session that also included Kimberly Ward, who's financial inclusion and vulnerability lead at First Direct. We spoke to Kimberly about her own personal experience and how making these reasonable adjustments, as Al said, can not only improve mental health, but can improve employee engagement and be good for business. So um, I'm here as a speaker today at the Make a Difference conference to talk about reasonable adjustments. And um, one of I've had quite a number of negative experiences um, in education and working um, as well where I have asked re for reasonable adjustments it was simple things like can you just tell me where you're going to be standing just so I know where I can position myself so I can feel included and in that I can hear you and would you mind maybe not turning around facing the other way um, and someone actually turned around and said to me I can't make just adjustments just for you there's 40 people in in this room and I didn't feel my request was out of out you know out there it was just where are you standing so I can sit myself in a way that I can be involved and you know that had a massive impact to me and my mental health so I think one thing that people should really think about is just talking to people listen be be open um sometimes you don't need to say anything or, or at all it's just be there here um and and take that feedback on board and then support that individual in a way that meets their needs because they will provide that support back to you tenfold and um, they will be loyal to you you know you can reduce your staff attrition um, and where you have a business that has direct customers as well that has a knock-on impact to their um, performance and ability um, to provide fantastic customer service and that's something that we really really promote in the first direct bank. We'll be hearing much more from Francoise and Kimberly a bit later. Well, in, in subsequent episodes. Also, I think we might include the clip about Kimberly's hairy legs. Um, we'll uh, we'll leave that for when we. Uh, <laughs> she did say it, and and she said we could we could publish it. So I will put that in the next episode. Um, so really, the bottom line is make reasonable adjustments because not only because you have to, and it's against the law if you don't, but also because, like we said before, don't be an asshole. Be a decent human being and look after your people. The fifth of the sixth trends was emotional literacy for leaders. Leadership is was the key theme and is the key theme in men, any mental health conversation. But the fact is now we are now looking much more in terms of leadership and emotional literacy for leaders. Yeah, I mean, being emotionally literate means being self-aware, recognizing your emotions, recognizing how those emotions affect your behavior and really crucially, understanding how to manage your emotions. We're just concluding some research at the moment that's looked at leadership and really highlighted the importance of emotional literacy when it comes to being effective as a leader. And that's including people's willingness to engage with a leader and to follow that leader. 
let's hear more on this trend, emotional literacy from Amit Sadapura from IBM. The session I did today here was all around thoughts and emotions. Now, when you talk about someone, you know, when you talk about thoughts and emotions, you're like, okay, I get it. That's good. But imagine even if you turn around and look a little bit deeper, it, it basically adds into every aspect of your life. Every experience is associated with your thoughts or your emotions, right? But we've never been again told how to basically connect and understand those. So, you know, I grew up in the, I was born in 84. So I grew up in a period of time where, you know, from a masculine perspective, everything was supposed to be macho, right? You're not supposed to show any form of emotion. You're not supposed to have, like, not cry, nothing. And I, and I shared a, an example on stage where, um, you know, where I was playing, you know, we were doing PE, obviously you had to do it once a week and then you'd, you'd play different kinds of sports. I didn't mind the other ones, but I, I hated rugby. I apologize to all those rugby fans, right? And I remember that when I told the, the teacher at the time that I wasn't feeling comfortable doing this, I got called a pansy in front of everyone and everyone laughed, right? So these are all, again, it's not to call anyone out, but this is how life works. So as a little kid, as you grow up, and I grew up in a normal family, there's nothing different about that, but it's you grow up in a society where you've been conditioned that you're supposed to be hard, you're supposed to be fearless, and that's the masculine figure. And, and you aspire to do that afterwards. It almost becomes like a, a thing. And the more you do that, you almost move away from who you really are. So it's, it's like going into a wrestling ring and having that persona. And you forget that you've got a persona because you just keep living it. Or you're an actor and you forget you're acting. So almost your, your life becomes a set. And this was interesting. It just carries on, right? And then through my life, I had various other experiences. A lot of them were personal challenges. And again, when I was going through these personal challenges... I don't know how to deal with them. I had no idea. There's no, there's no book to write on that. So you try your best. And, and generally when I tried my best, I screwed it up even worse, right? Um, and then what I did is, okay, I, 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 I remember on a particular day or on a particular occasion, I said, you know, I'm going to suppress it because I don't know how to deal with these things. Clark Carlisle had a similar lived experience and this challenge of experiencing emotions, processing emotions, managing emotions led to multiple suicide attempts. Let's hear from the former Premier League footballer, Clark Carlisle. Prior to 2017, five suicide attempts, you know, bring me to that point. And people say that that uh, men are poor communicators or, or, you know, general society, we're not great communicators. My actions were screaming that there was something that warranted attention. But because I didn't know that there was something to be looking for, we dealt with each action individually as though that was the root of the problem. For example, um, you know, I was cyclically going on massive um, self-sabotage, self-destruct um, benders, for want of a better word, you know, big drinking benders, three, four, five days going missing, turning my phone off. And we look straight at the alcohol. Oh, alcohol's the problem. So I go to the clinic, I come out of there, I'm sober. But just because there's no alcohol anymore, it doesn't mean I'm not still exploding in these, you know, self-sabotage behaviours. Now, what I didn't know was that that was me in a position of, of overwhelm where I couldn't manage the emotions that I was trying to suppress. And what I was doing was just expertly avoiding or distracting. So that's what all my maladaptive coping mechanisms and behaviours were, whether it was drinking or gambling or playing computer games or like Carrie said, when I was in those deep throes of depression, it, it was hypersomnia. I'd sleep for 30 or 40 hours straight. 
but we'd look at me as though, you know, what are you doing these for? As opposed to looking at the symptoms and saying, oh, what are these showing us? We've covered in some depth before the male mental health or mental health for men. I'm thinking back to Kate Goodger from Lang O'Rourke, where she's got a predominantly male workforce um, who she's helping to deal with mental health. Then we go back to the amazing Jim Young and our very, very intimate conversation around about mental health um, earlier this year. I think that Leanne's told me this stat, something about 96% of all FTSE CEOs are men. Is that right? Yeah, FTSE 350, 90, 95%, 96%. So, of course, we want to we rebalance that. But at the same time, we have to assume now that of these leaders, a lot of them are potentially going to be struggling with mental health. And so how do we ensure that men, men's mental health is top of the agenda? Yeah, and I think, you know, emotional literacy is for everybody. But I think, you know, what, what the data shows is in terms of suicide rates being much higher amongst men it is something that I think perhaps male leaders, men need to to really think about prioritising because it, it kills. It's it's killing the men in our lives, as, you know, Carrie and, and Clark explained so, so candidly. I think as well, when we think about, you know, the the prevalence of men in, in leadership roles, and we think about our other trends as well, about allyship, about anger. Building emotional literacy will help with both of these things. It will help people process anger in a more functional way, away from the workplace, in a way that isn't detrimental to teams. It will help men and other members of majority communities show up. I think, yeah, you can say it's emotional intelligence, but I think it's slightly different. It's not so much about understanding others. It's about understanding yourself. And that is a really great, great place to start. Yeah, we'll be doing a follow-up episode uh, with Amit about um, uh, about emotional literacy, uh, but also how suppressing these feelings can really impact your mental health. And it creates this sense of loneliness. So look out for the episode. It'll be coming up soon, and I'm going to call it The Lonely Leader because it's, a, it's, it's alliterative. So trend number six is individual well-being. We've always thought about well-being, but I think that we've tended to come at it from the on this podcast from a point of view of organizational well-being and and we're starting to now narrow it down and talk about individual well-being. I think we are bullish on on well-being and looking at well-being from an organizational level because we know that this systemic change is the only thing that will improve overall mental health and well-being, will eliminate burnout, will create a society, businesses, organizations in which people thrive. The thing is, we can invest in our own individual well-being, our own resilience as much as we like. But if we're going back to a toxic workplace again and again and again, that individual level resilience ain't going to make much difference. That said, now these organisational level conversations are being had and change is starting to happen. We need to make sure we don't lose focus on the equal importance of individual well-being. We need to take accountability for investing in that. Absolutely. We're going to be bringing you a special episode on how to build individual well-being as a business owner, a leader or as employee over the next few weeks, featuring all the senior leaders from HSBC, Peppy Health and all the other people we mentioned before. Just today as a little bit of a sort of a teaser. We'd like to introduce you to Stuart Sandiman, who's BBC Radio 1 DJ and the host of the Decompression Sessions. He has this incredibly moving story about how he discovered breathwork and how it can help as a powerful coping mechanism. And I got into breathing actually through grief. My girlfriend was diagnosed with terminal cancer and passed away 
And it was a really challenging time, as you can imagine. And I didn't find breathing at that time. I didn't really have many coping me mechanisms. But when she passed away, one thing that amazing that happened, I took my mum for Mother's Day to a breathing class. That's as far as I thought about breathing. I'd spent my life too busy to breathe. I'd been all, um, before my music, I worked in finance. And so I'd kind of jumped from a few things before that. I was quite heavily involved in sport. When my girlfriend passed away um, and I was in a bad headspace, I've breathing, I, I came across breathing. Sounds so simple, that thing we do all day, every day. And it literally changed my whole outlook. It was like the light bulb switched on. I had a very powerful experience. Um, felt like the weight of grief was pulled off me, but it also felt like my girlfriend was there holding my hand saying, this is exactly where you need to be, which is very strange, very weird, very wonderful, very helpful, but also left me with more questions than answers. So that's where I set off in this journey around breathing and breath. Like what just happened in this session? Why haven't I been looking at breathing before? If this is the one thing that keeps us alive, um, why was I not looking at breathing as a tool to manage myself throughout my life, whether that was sport, whether that was creatively with music, whether that was being in a busy um, office when I worked in finance. Um, so that's what got me into breath and breathing. And I think for many practitioners or, or many people, when you find something that impacts you so heavily and so and you find something that helps you transform so much, because it wasn't just grief. That was like the the onion layer that peeled off. I felt like obviously worked through grief, but then my sleep got better. My energy improved. I started to realize deeper aspects of myself, the way I've been living, the way I've been thinking, the way I've been operating, the reactive states that I'd been was in, my deeper kind of belief systems from my past. So I start to really kind of uncover um, and change in a positive way. I am quickly interrupting this phenomenal podcast to recommend another phenomenal podcast, Nudge. We love Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, a true gent. It is, of course, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. But that is not the only reason we're recommending it, is it, Al? No, it's not. No, we've recommended it to lots of people. If you look at any of our YouTube comments, it won't take you long, there's about 20 of them, <laughs> then you'll see that we recommend Phil uh, to anyone who likes our pod. Well, on Nudge, you're going to learn simple evidence-backed tips. It's going to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, and grow a business. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest growing business podcast. For now. For now, Phil, we're coming for you, buddy. <laughs> if you loved hearing Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy on our show back in episode 83, then Phil's latest episode has Rory on again talking about McDonald's, smoking, and why the pension system is broken. I suppose we should say that actually Rory's been on a couple of times on to nudge. It's not that uh, Phil's seen what we've done and gone, I'll have Rory. So I think it's important yeah, for no, us to Yeah, no, we copied. That. We copied Phil. Anyway, listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, as a quick recap then, the future trends we talked about, first of all, was allyship. Secondly, was workplace trauma. Remember, big T, little t. Then we talked about reasonable adjustments and how that is now moving into the mental health arena. Uh, we talked about emotional literacy for leaders. We talked about investing in individual well-being. And finally, we talked about anger. In actual fact, just to confuse you, I think we did that in a slightly different order, but... <laughs> That, that you'll have Keep to go back and listen. Toes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go back and listen again, and that will help us with our uh, with our download figures. Yes, we will be bringing you more detailed conversations on these future trends over the next few weeks, and you'll be hearing so much more 
from the incredible guests that we featured today alongside other people that we met at the Mad World Summit, including England rugby player Shauna Brown, Justin Boxall from Mars and Malcolm Staves from L'Oreal. I'm very disappointed that Al did not ask the final question I put on the sheet for Malcolm, which was how do we get signed up to their PR list for skincare and makeup? You know, I did say to Malcolm that I've got that joke I want to say because you're worth it. But then he looked at me with such a death stare he said, don't. And I was like, okay, I'm not the first person to try and crack that joke. So he didn't seem in the mood for me to ask for a load of free stuff for you. So uh, sorry about that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, um, I'll, I'll, I'll drop Malcolm an email. It's fine. Look out, Malcolm. <laughs> Do check out the show notes. As always, you will find links to our guests. You will find links to the Mad World Summit and Make a Difference Media. You'll also find additional links from Make a Difference Media with more conversations from some of our guests today and others in the future. If you weren't able to attend Mad World Summit and you are experiencing, like I was last week, some serious FOMO, don't worry, we've got you. Registration for the water cooler happening the 23rd and 24th of April 2024 is now open. It's happening at the Excel in London and you might even see us there. Yes, you may well see us there. And But you will definitely see us next week for another episode where we're going to be talking more in depth about some of these themes we've talked about today. So if you're not registered, uh, registered isn't the word. If you're not subscribed, then click. We've got registration on the mind with all these all these shows. If you're not subscribed, click subscribe, please. And if you would feel like leaving a review, then we'd love a five-star review. And uh, Al is amazing. Leanne's okay. But, you know, he has to have someone to bounce off. It's just a suggestion for your review. How rude. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.